So tonight, um, we're going to be in John chapter 15, verse 1, and we're in the series that you may believe, but I want to tell you a, a, a quick story, and the title of the teaching tonight is Fruit of the Vine. Um, when I was about 17, I got my first car, and it was a, VW, a black 66 VW Bug, and it had a sunroof. It was awesome, right? As I recall, I paid about $300 for it. I got it from a friend. And if I still had that today, it'd probably be still worth about $300. But it was a used car. And since it was a used car, it had used car issues. We've all had those, right? And occasionally, it wouldn't start. I couldn't get it started. So I had issues with that. So at one point, you know what I was doing? I was parking on a hill. So I could roll it and pop the clutch so I could start it. But then I got a hold of my friend. I got a hold of a car guy. Do we, ha do we all have a car guy? Everybody should have a car guy, right? So I got a hold of my car guy, and he was more mechanically inclined than I was. So he came over, and he said, uh, let me help you with that. So he handed me a screwdriver, right? And he says, here, what, what I need you to do is he showed me where to put that. So I put it there, and he goes, here, just, just hold that. So I'm standing here holding the screwdriver, right? And suddenly I just felt this jolt come up my arm, right? It about took my head off. I mean, it was like, whoa, what was that? And then I looked over at him and his only comment was, well, I guess the spark's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And so then he started working on the carburetor and then with a little bit of an adjustment, he got it going and the car finally was running. But I never forgot this powerful fact about what that was, it drove it home to me that it takes both the fuel and the spark to run a car. One will never do it alone. They have to go together. And tonight in our teaching, our Lord's going to say to us, remain in me and I in you, because it takes both to be fruitful. It takes both to be a fruitful Christian. We can't do it on our own apart from God. We can't do it. It's just not going to happen. So in the 15th chapter of John's uh, gospel, it appears that the Lord now has left the upper room with the disciples, and they're actually going, making their through, way through the vineyards as they go through Jerusalem. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was Passover, so this meant that there was a full moon, and it was nice and bright. And with the 11 disciples, they're walking along through these vineyards. And this is where Jesus is going to talk about his last I am, this great statement. And he's going to say this. He's saying, I am the true vine. And Jesus gives us this parable. It's a beautiful symbol of the vine and the branches. In many countries, the vine is also known as a source of food and drink. It's nourishment. So he's using this. Or Jesus may have selected this symbol because the vine was recognized as a symbol of Israel's fruitfulness in doing God's work on earth. These colossal golden vines and branches that were decorating the temple gates. The vine being this historical thing that they saw. It was about religion. It was a symbol of religion to them. And then in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, there's this beautiful picture of the vineyards of the Lord of hosts. How God guarded it and he provided for it. God gave Israel every possible benefit. But in Jeremiah, we read this. Jeremiah 2.21, it says, I had planned you like a choice vine 
of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And then Isaiah 5.2. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. When God came looking for that harvest, he found only sour grapes. This vineyard was a disappointment to God. And Hosea describes it this way. He says that I, Israel was an empty vine. In Hosea 1, it says Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. The fruit was only for themselves. If there was ever a nation that had everything to succeed, succeed it was Israel. Now remember, when Jesus came to the vineyard, what happened to him? They cast him out and they killed him. So this parable that Jesus is talking about is the present vine. He's talking about this present vine. And now he uses the terms you and me and I in you. And this is about the believer's relationship to Christ. It's a personal relationship. You and me and I in you. Apart from God, we can do nothing. We'll be sour grapes. We won't produce a harvest. So in this wonderful way that Jesus had, using whatever he had in his hand to illustrate the truth, he might have picked up a vine and said something to, uh, according to these words. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus boldly says, I am the true vine. He uses the picture of the vine because there were grapevines everywhere in ancient Israel. As to say, don't be deceived. It's not Judaism. It's not about religion. The other vines, he's talking about the other vines are copies. As Christ followers, we don't go with substitutes, right? We go with the truth and the true thing. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's me. I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine, and we must be rooted in Jesus to have fruitful lives. It was Jesus who will produce at last the fruit that God was looking for throughout the centuries. Because remember, when he looked, all he saw was sour grapes. The unsaved world depends on the world for its satisfaction, while believers depend on the true vine, Jesus Christ, and having a relationship to him, belonging to to him. Then he adds, my father is the gardener. And the Greek word is georgios, which means earth worker. The gardener who takes care of the vineyards, God is that gardener. He takes care of all of the garden and he takes care of each one of us as well. And the first work of the father is to care for that vine. And then in verse two, it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Jesus now is telling us that we are the branches, all of us. The branches are the believers who follow Jesus Christ, who claim to follow Jesus Christ. There's a clear indication that there are two kinds of branches or two kinds of believers the difference between them is whether they produce fruit or not in their lives. Branches that bear no fruit are unproductive. Those who turn from following Christ have made no commitment to him. 
they'll be separated from the vine. And the first work of the vine keeper is to totally remove fruitless branches. And we don't have to guess what this means because it had recently happened to the disciples, didn't it? It just happened to the disciples. The father had removed Judas, the fruitless branch from the disciples' band. Leaves were present, but there was no fruit. They show a certain degree of life. And Paul says it like this in 1 John, or excuse me, in 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are all not of us. Some believers appear to be believers, but they will never be fruitful branches in the kingdom of God. They will never bear fruit for God. And then the second branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. It says he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You know, there's a lot of teachings, and you've probably heard these before, about the pruning process. I couldn't tell you how many I've heard on that. Well, this one's going to be a little bit different than that. You know, it's not going to be the Lord's going to prune you. He's going to cut you off. That's not where this is going to go. Because God loves us so much, he prunes us. He wants to encourage us to be more fruitful. You know, God is never closer to us than when he's pruning us. We may not enjoy it, but we need it. There are elements that must be clear on the benefit that will help us benefit from this teaching. And the symbol of the vine and the branches is similar to the head and the body. We have a living relationship with Christ and we belong to him so that we can bear fruit, a loving, lasting union. And Jesus uses this parable to help us grow. The disciples now would undoubtedly have come up with something different, a different concept. And sometimes we come up with that as well, right? We look at commentaries. Martin Luther said this, when the angels want a good laugh, they read the commentaries, right? They read those commentaries. But Jesus is going to tell us in this passage. He's not going to leave it up to anybody's interpretation. He's going to identify to each one of us what this symbolism means. And then the word prunes. And we think about it. When you think about the word prunes, it's not as being cut off, but cut back. You know, when we prune something, we don't cut it all the way off. We just cut it back. This is the work of selecting those who are bearing fruit for Christ and removing those who are not. The branch itself is weak and useless. The branch cannot produce life on its own. It must draw life from the vine. The sooner as believers that we discover that we are the branches, the better we'll relate to our Lord and know our own weaknesses and confess our need for his strength in our lives. Now, Jesus makes it very clear about pruning. He says this, it's separated and cut off. Every fruitless believer he takes away. The word literally means he lifts up or he removes it. There is an alternative understanding of this passage that bears some consideration, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. I want to explain this. The word translated takes away in the ancient Greek is the verb arrow. It's arrow. And this word has three or four different definitions for the word. And it's more accurately translated as lifts up, rising up, or pulling up. And then the fourth definition of it in the Greek lexicon is take away. So it's more used as 
lifting up. The word arrow is used in John eleven forty one when Jesus lifts his eyes up towards heaven. And in Luke 17, when the people lifted up their voices to the Lord, just like we did in worship tonight. So I believe that the idea here is not to take it away, but to lift it up. I believe our Lord, when he's pruning us, he's actually lifting us up. The idea that the Father lifts up unproductive vines up off the ground. Because in ancient Israel, these vine keepers, they would lift the fruit up. Sometimes the fruit would become so heavy that it would sag and it would go on the ground. And it would leave it vulnerable to dirt and insects. So they would lift them up off the ground. And they would do this lovingly, caringly, and tenderly so that they might get more sun and bear more fruit. And I believe that's what God's doing. He's lifting us up when we're being unproductive. He's lifting us up so we can be more productive. You know, I look at this, um, when I looked at these vineyards and these, these gardeners and how they keep them, it reminded me about raising kids almost, right? It's like raising kids because parents know that if we let our kids run wild, let them go wherever they want to go, there's going to be problems. We have to give them discipline and we have to give them direction. Well, grapes are the same way. They have to have a way they grow on the trellis. There has to be direction. And with our kids, what do we want to do? We want to lift our kids up, right? We want to lift them up so that they can be productive, in the world. We want them to reach for the skies, don't we? Well, our Heavenly Father wants us to do the same thing. He wants to give us every advantage as we're growing and being raised. As these vines would flop onto the ground, it would look like they would raise them up so they could be productive. How important is it to lift up and trim the branches? For when left untrimmed, they are less vital and some die. And there's more danger. The risk is greater and not pruning enough than pruning too much. Have you ever pruned something? You ever cut it back and you thought, oh no, it's not going to grow? Well, it grows. You know, in the vineyards, like I said, when I was reading this, um, there's a certain time of year that they go through these vineyards and they call them sucker shoots. Anybody ever heard of that? They call them sucker shoots. And these sucker shoots, they grow leaves abundantly, but they'll never produce fruit. Ever. And so what they do is they go through the vineyards and they cut them off. They cut these sucker shoots off and they cut them back so that others will bear more fruit. Because it's both about quality and quantity when it comes to grapes, right? And that's what our Lord wants for us. He wants quality and quantity out of the fruit that we got. If, if these shoots were allowed to remain, they would sap the life out of the vine and greatly re reduce the quality of the fruit that it would bear. And pruning is a drastic process. The, word, the Greek word for pruning is kath uh, ero. Kath ero. And what that means, it's a cleansing process. It's a cleansing process. So Jesus is clearly teaching here that this is what the Father will do in our lives to make us bear more fruit. He will drastically cut back things in our lives in this cleansing process that we have. Now remember, Jesus cleansed the disciples' feet, didn't he? 
he washed their feet. And then the vineyards, this cleansing process, getting rid of the cobwebs and the dried leaves, cleans them so that they can be more productive. So I want to ask a question. Do you have something that needs to be removed or cleansed in your life tonight? Is there something that needs to be removed or cut back in your life? Fruitful branches are cut back and cleansed to promote growth. And I believe that the greatest judgment of God could bring to any believer would be to let him be alone. Just to let him be alone and let him have his own way without caring for him. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, I lift up. And every branch that bears fruit, I will cleanse so it might bring forth more fruit. God lifts us up and he cleanses us so that we can be more fruitful in our lives. These two pictures of believers reveal both our privilege and our responsibility. As branches, we have the privilege of sharing in the life of Christ, knowing him and knowing his will, and we have the responsibility of obeying his will. Fruitful branches are true believers connected and rooted in Christ. We need to be connected and rooted in Christ. And Jesus has painted this picture, and it's not a picture of the Lord cutting us off, but it's a picture of him lifting us up, all of us lifting us up. And yet that sometimes we have to be encouraged and reminded ourselves about this because this is the work of a loving father who does it so that we may bear more fruit. Sometimes we have to endure that cleansing. And how do we know this? Well, it says this in the next verse. It says this. Jesus says in verse 3, you, already, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is saying, I lift up the branches. I wash them clean. I have washed and cleaned you through the word of God. How do we bear more fruit? Being in the word. We bear fruit by being in the word. Renewal in, our, in, our, in the word, renewing our minds daily in the word of God. Love one another, forgive one another, reach out to one another, minister to each other. These are commands and their responsibilities of remaining in him. According to Jesus in the believer's life, this is how it's done. It's done by the word that I have spoken to you. So how do we get our lives cleaned up? How do we bear more fruit? Fruit comes from a commitment to being in the Word. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he's talking about husbands and wives, and he says that the bride is washed by the water of the Word. And Jesus gives us this great encouragement saying that I am the true vine. When we're down and we're downcast or dirty, our Father will pick us up and he will cleanse us and wash us off so that through his Word we can be clean. And this comes from our morning devotions, coming to Wednesday night Bible study, getting into a small group. That's how we do it. Being in a place where the word of God is taught, where our basis of our beliefs and our faith on what Jesus said, his cleansing effect upon our lives. And then in verse four, it says this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain 
in me. In verse 4, Jesus takes up the first requirement. You need to remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. Neither can you and I. And the word abide is used in some translations. We probably have seen that. The word abide, which simply means remain, stay with me. He's saying, keep close to me. Follow me and do what I say. Obey my commands. So as we search the scriptures and we look at this, how do we renew our minds? It means keeping in fellowship with Jesus, staying in the word, stay connected, cling to me, and you'll bear fruit so that we'll have a life that God can work through us and produce fruit. At this point, I think it's important that we might ask this, what exactly, what fruit is God looking for in us? What is he expecting in us? And it's clear that the fruit which Jesus is referring to is his Christ-likeness. Being like him, his character reproduced in all of us, such as winning souls, financial giving, Colossians says this is, this is the fruit of helping practically with our time and our talents and our treasures. Or Hebrews says the fruits of our lips. He's the vine from which all the power flows for the life of people, the branches. And it's his identification in us, who we are, his holiness in us. The relationship that we have between God and us, our relationship. The vine and the branches pictures and emphasizes complete dependence, the need for constant connection with Jesus. We need to be constantly connected in the word and with God. The branch depends on the vine even more than the sheep depends on the shepherd or the child depends on his mother and father. As Jesus was about ready to depart with the disciples, it was important encouragement for them. He would remain in them, united to them, and truly the branches are connected to the main vine. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is, important. This is a great verse, and I like it because it says, in the beginning of verse 2, it says, no fruit, Right? We're talking no fruit. In the middle of verse 2, we have some fruit. And at the end of 2, we have more fruit. And now we're seeing at the, in verse 5, there's much fruit. There's much fruit. How, how is this fruit produced? How much fruit is produced? It's clearly a twofold process. Our Lord says, remain in me. When we remain in the word, you know, we have this uh, bougainvillea plant that sits out in our front yard. Everybody like bougainvillea plants? They're like a purple flower. They're beautiful. But they grow all over the place. So we trimmed this thing back quite a few times. We actually just trimmed it the other day. But if I brought one of those branches in and I cut it and I laid it down right here and I said, hey, this thing's going to start to blossom and it's going to start to grow, you'd look at me and go, no, it's not. It's not going to do that. You're crazy because the, the branch is not connected to the vine. It will never produce a flower if it's not connected. And it's the same thing with us. That's what Jesus is telling us right here. We know what we should do, what we should say. And if we're cut off from the Lord and we're distant from him, there won't be any fruit in our lives. And this is something we're expected to do. Remain in him, abide in him, follow him. 
It's not something we can initiate, but something we can expect to happen as we trust God. We trust him. It takes both to be fruitful. Apart from Jesus, our efforts are unfruitful. I want to ask you this. Are you receiving the nourishment and life offered by the true vine, Jesus, in your life? If not, you're missing a special gift, and that's God's work in each and every one of us. And verse 6 says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and whether such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, this is an interesting verse. And what it says, this doesn't mean that if we don't follow Jesus, that we'll be cut off and tossed into the fire. That's not what it's saying. What it does mean, though, is if we don't follow him, that we won't bear fruit. We won't be fruitful and our lives will indeed burn up. We won't be fruitful. But our salvation is secure. Our salvation is secure because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. While we were still sinners, he died for us on the cross. The wood of the vine is so soft, it's useless to build with. We can't build anything with it. So what Jesus is saying here is that if your life is not bearing fruit, it's good for nothing but kindling and it will be burned up. Whether we either bear fruit or we're burning up the clocks in our lives, are you doing something for the kingdom of God or are you just wasting your time burning that clock up? Anything that stands in the way of our fruitful lives must be removed even though it might be painful. Sometimes there's things in our lives we have to get rid of. We have to do that. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says this, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It's better to be pruned and grow than be burned up and thrown in the fire. In verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you follow me, if you cling to my words, whatever you want, he says, you'll get. Now, what he's talking about is prayer. Notice, though, you have to remain in me. You have to be connected to me. James says you have not because you ask not. Because our requests are not in line with what God's will is. He says, pray to the Father according to his will for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We pray for his will. When we're not in his word, we won't know how to pray. These are disciplines of the Christian life. We must learn early that there is no chance of being like Christ unless we discipline our life and learn to pray. The first evidence of fruitful life is the impact of answered prayer. It's answered prayer. You become effective. The work you're seeking to do accomplishes something. You ask whatever you will need, and it will be given to you. It will be granted Notice that our Lord links this closely to his words and not the word logos. Logos, which means the whole Bible. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is that rhema word, which means a specific promise in the Bible. We must never forget that our prayers and, our promise and the promises of God are linked together. Prayer is not a way of getting God to do what we want him to do. Rather, it's asking him to do what he has promised to do. God has made us promises. 
And we live by those promises, not the explanations of the world. We pray according to his promises. So if you want your prayers to be effective, read the Bible, study God's promises, and pray according to his will. And then in verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we live fruitful and productive lives, we honor God and we give him glory. That's our mission statement, right? We exist to glorify God and showing that we are disciples. When a vine bears much fruit, God is glorified, right? When fruit comes from our life, God is glorified. Because God God loves us, he prunes us and encourages us to bear more fruit for his glory. And God makes it rain and the sun shine. And when the harvest is plentiful, what a moment for the glory of God. When the harvest is plentiful, it's mature and it's ready to use. God has made it all happen because he is the gardener. And this gardening analogy just shows how God is glorified when his people come into a right relationship with him and they start to bear fruit in their lives. In 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 3.18, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Here's a life of fruitfulness being turned into the image of God, being changed into his glorious image. It's being a glorifying witness to him, changing someone else's life that would impact the kingdom. To have an impactful life. And of course, the real evidence is that we are really and truly Jesus' disciples. In Galatians 5.22, we see the fruits of the Spirit. It's very clear that the fruits of the Spirit expressed are practiced not in private. They are not in private. It is seen in our relationships with others. Our faith must be expressed in our day-to-day lives with family and neighbors and friends. So how do we bear fruit for God? Living productive and fruitful lives is possible only when we remain in Christ. Jesus made this simple comparison that a person who is not united to him is like a branch and would be cut off. The branch quickly withers and goes into the fire. Christians draw their life from Christ the same way the branch draws its life from the main stem of the vine. There is no question about this. If we compare Scripture to Scripture, in Galatians 5.22, the Apostle Paul says this, the fruit of the spirits, and his word is fruit is not fruits. It's singular because what it is, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, Meekness, self-control. Nine qualities gathered as one cluster, just as grapes are on the vine. It's a cluster of grapes. It consists really of that spiraling application of the first three, love, joy, and peace. As As those reach out and involve in our relationships, they appear, and then the other fruit appears as well. Patience, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So love, joy, and peace are the fruits that God expects in each one of us, and the rest will follow. In verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Once again, Jesus touches upon the gift 
of his love. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in uh, Jude 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is a great part of Scripture. This is the answer to the problems of today, the sense of people being meaningless and feeling worthless that so many people have in their lives. Do you know people that feel insecure and worthless? They try to cover it up by boasting on how great they are or how good their job is or how much money they have. It's because deep inside they feel worthless and rejected and not loved. The way we feel worthwhile is to realize that God loved each and every one of us. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. You belong to him. Jesus loves you and the Father loves you as well. We're dear and precious to him. And it's his work in us that will help us discover who we are. In verse 10, it says this, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That your joy is complete. When things are going well, they're going well, right? When we're on that mountaintop, everything's going good. But what about when we're in that valley? And God's the God of the mountaintop and the valley. Sometimes we get into the valley, we get depressed. You know, I don't know if anybody saw football today on TV. There was football. Ohio State will be playing tonight. Just let you know. But when we watch football, right, you know, there's this, there's sometimes these plays and, and what happens is the, the quarterback throws the ball and the receiver's in the end zone and he goes to catch it and he's on the, in the end zone and like, yes, he caught it until the referee says, no, he was out of bounds. He's out of bounds. And now the happiness is gone. You're just about ready to do your little happy dance, right? And now the happiness is gone because of that. And God does not promise us happiness because happiness comes from our circumstances and our circumstances change. But true joy comes from our constant relationship in Christ. When we're connected to Jesus, we'll walk through adversity without sinking. And when that end zone play, we're out of bounds, we'll be okay with it. The joy of living with Jesus daily will keep us level-headed no matter how high or how low the circumstances get. But the constant joy in our heart, regardless whether we catch the football or not, will be there. And then the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it says this. Jesus said, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was it that filled Jesus' heart with joy as he faced the cross? and enabled him to go through this terrible ordeal, it was the expectation that he would be an instrument of redemption for the entire world. That there would be a great harvest of people that would come to know the Lord, that that would be redeemed, that would be restored. And by his actions, Jesus came, Jesus' joy came from serving and advancing the kingdom of God, being fruitful. That's where our joy comes from. You know, so many people will say, I've got it made. I don't need anything. I've got it all, right? If you have Jesus, you have it all. But you shouldn't be satisfied with all the things that the world gives you. The only satisfying thing that we have is Jesus. And we should all have the desire to be used of God. 
The greatest joy anyone can ever know is to be used by God, the inheritance of a true believer, and to have the fruit of love, joy, and peace in their life. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my joy may be in you. As we go through all these various experiences, and these are the things that I'm sure the disciples were going through as Jesus was leaving the upper room. He had already told them, peace I leave with you. And God brings peace into our lives as he produces fruit. Now he's saying that my joy may be in you. He speaks of his love mentioned again and again, love, joy, and peace are the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus' image reproduced in us is the fruit that we want. We want to be Christ-like, like Jesus. What a wonderful fruit it is. May it be abundant in our hearts. You know, this process doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. You know, when the Lord comes into your life, the fruit starts to grow. And God is looking for that fruit He's laboring to produce that fruit in our lives right now. God isn't looking for our happiness. He's looking for our wholeness or our holiness. He's not called us to be busy, to be busy, but he's called us to the beauty, the beauty of life, the beauty of character. That's what he wants to produce in our lives. Our Lord goes to tell us that what the part that we have to play in this What we need to learn is that our responsibility is to keep our tanks filled, remaining in his word each and every day, filled to the overflowing, the spirit flows through us, and that God works through us as well. And the power from God himself, the spark of the spirit, when both are present, life becomes fruitful. We begin to reflect the character of Jesus, and we will be fruitful. So I want to ask you, Are you disconnected from the vine? Have you ever made Jesus your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight to be connected. Maybe we've fallen back. We've just backslidden and we're not connected and our lives aren't fruitful. I'm going to give you that opportunity. So if you just bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I want to trust you and follow you all the days of my life. Take complete control of my life and help me walk in your footsteps daily in the power of the Holy Spirit to produce the lasting fruit in my life and to glorify you for the advancement of your kingdom. Thank you for saving me and answering my prayers. Amen.